All right, everyone. Hello. Welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast, your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. I'm Robert Winfrey. I am your host. Uh, we're going to be talking about the uh, the event that was UFC 244. Uh, most uh, That's going to take up like the lion's share of the podcast today, I think. Um, because, you know, that was the UFC's 500th live event. And in many respects, it did not disappoint. So we've got a, lo- a lot to kind of break down in the aftermath of that event. Next week, the UFC is in Moscow for UFC on ESPN Plus 21. And uh, that card, well, when they lost JDS, they lost basically the most interesting part of that event. So we'll go over what exists on it and you know do the preview thing to the extent that we can. And a little bit of news over the last week. I mean, relatively quiet on the news front, but a few things propped up, so we'll get through that you all know the drill by now unless you're a newcomer in which case thank you god bless we tend to do fights fights and then news uh here with me is my regular partner in crime forward and many is jack of all trades and the man who i i imagine part of your soul died when watching playing with fire uh jeff harris is with us how are you jeff <laughs> worse to be frank and yes joanna young today chick i am confident about waking up in the morning so thank you for asking. Alrighty. Uh, let's go ahead and jump into this then. UFC 244, our main event was the unofficial the unofficial title fight for the BMF belt. Uh, it ends between rounds three and four when the doctor stops the fight on behalf of Jorge Masvidal. Nate Diaz just had a couple of cuts that prompted the stoppage. Uh, I know people were not happy about this. Um, thankfully, a lot of the ire seems to have died down after everyone slept on it. Like, <laughs> thankfully, it died for Dana White before he got to the press conference. Because as amusing as that could have been, but yes, I agree. Yeah, da- I mean, Dana's stance was initially like, oh, that's BS. And then his whole claim, and you can, it's Dana, so you can take this with however much salt you feel necessary was I got a closer look at Nate's cuts and went, okay, I can see it. Um, That was kind of my stance. And, I mean, the fight itself was, this is going to get lost and a lot of people being upset about the stoppage and the Diaz fanboy army is going to be out in force going, if not for that stoppage, he always comes on strong in the fourth and fifth rounds. I mean, okay, look, I'm not saying that's impossible, Nate Diaz has tremendous cardio and he tends to excel in you know the late the longer a fight goes. I'm not taking anything away from that. But he got beat from pillar to freaking post. Getting dominated on the ground. I mean, I had Jorge Masvidal up 30-25 after three rounds. I gave him a 10-8 in the first and the second. He floored Diaz with that head kick in the first. Pounded on him, cut him open. That's where the whole cut started, and then it just got worse and worse as the fight went on. He drops him again in the second with punches. He was killing Nate with body kicks. I don't know what he saw in film, but that body kick he was slamming in over and over again was... uh, That hurt me watching it. Just, ow. I guess for Diaz's credit, he was hanging in there, 
and he was still firing back. Uh, he was landing good shots at point. He was he was in the fight. Yeah, he was in the fight. He land. I, he didn't, were, he didn't look tired, and he didn't really look tired. Either. That was the other thing. No, he didn't look gassed. I mean, again, he landed punches on occasion. He was able to force a few exchanges that were favorable to him. But Masvidal was very well prepared to fight in the clinch, which is normally a place Diaz is able to do quite well. He was good about landing elbows and knees on the break. Brown was well scouted. He didn't, like, jump into Diaz's guard when Diaz was goading him in there. And when Diaz had that one... um, they had, they had that one little good ground exchange where there was that sweep. Do you remember yeah, that? Yeah, like, in the second round. They had a really nice little scramble there at the end. Diaz tried to, Diaz tried to go for that leg bar or whatever, and Masvidal had no trouble defending it, really. It didn't look like he was in any danger there. I don't, I don't think Not, he was. He wasn't really. I mean, I, I don't mean to say that that situation couldn't have been worse if Nate, if, excuse me, if Jorge never addressed it. But as soon as Nate kind of leans back for the heel hook, Masvidal spins appropriately, gets a lot of weight on the knee. Nate has no control over his other knee, which is like actual control over your opponent's lower body is critical to heel hook success. And Nate didn't have it. Good so he wasn't the body too. Very good. Yeah. Good uh, this wound up being, again, I picked Masvidal to win. This was more one-sided than I think most people expected. Masvidal pushed his face through a windshield, basically, by the end of that, by the time I, that fight was stopped. I guess because of the optics, because, you know, it was Masvidal's fight up until it got stopped, but Diaz was still in there and coming back, asking for more. Yeah, I mean, you have to... If you want to get Nate out of there, you have to really get him out of there. You know, like I give him all the credit in the world for being that kind of fighter and that kind of person. Like, when was it, the last time Diaz was legit? Not stop, stopped. It's only yeah. happened once. It was the it was the Josh Thompson fight because Thompson kicked him in the head like three times before he fell over. So that was and that was quite a while ago. And then uh, yeah, fi- fifteen or sixteen, I think. And Masvidal has a has quite a I mean just in MMA alone has quite a long career. Yeah, know? both uh, both guys are nearing fifty fights. I think this was uh, Masvidal's forty eighth professional fight. It was Masvidal only has three three stoppage losses in his career. So, uh, had had and Sengoku, and that way, was way back in the day. So June two thousand eight, uh, to- to- Tobi Yamada, Okay, but that that crazy inverted triangle man. That's one of the craziest submissions Amata, you'll ever see. At the time, Amada was a pretty formidable opponent and submission artist. I would say. Um, and earlier in his career, by Paul Rodriguez, and so Masvidal is pr- is you don't finish. You really don't finish Masvidal, especially. He's never been finished in his UFC career. Your game plan should not revolve around being the first guy in the UFC to finish him at nothing else. Well, right. Um, most of it all is a very, both these guys are among the tougher opponents you will face because they're always going to be there. 
Um, I mean, he even gave, I mean, he didn't beat uh, Gilbert Melendez, but when Melendez was one of the best lightweights in the world, he gave Melendez some problems in their fight. Uh, yeah. In their fight. I mean, he gave Benson Henderson a lot of problems in their fight. Uh, he gave, I, you know, he's just a tough out. I mean, he arguably won the Damian Maya fight. I seem to recall yeah. thinking he should have. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, I was doing live. I don't, uh, I don't know if I would anoint him fighter of the year, but I think he's had a pretty damn good year, all things. At the moment, I think it's a two-horse race between him and uh, Israel Adesanya. Thing is, the thing is, but here's my 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 issue with that. I feel like t- the Till and Diaz fights were favorable matchups for him, really. Uh, Diaz, yes, I'm not sure about. I mean, Till in practice wound up being a lot wound up being more favorable, but I'm not sure on paper Till's a. Uh, again, that that fight didn't play out the way a lot of people very, expected. He's had, he has had a very good year. I'm just not sure. Fighter of the year, I'm I'm a little. Well, again, for me at the and look, there's still a few there's still a few other events. There's a big pay per view still to come, but at yeah, the moment, it could be Colby Covington. <laughs> you know, I don't think there's a very specific reason I don't think I would put Colby above him, and some of that is just numbers. Like Masvidal fought and won three times in the same calendar year. He finished all three of his opponents. And he's the one who main evented the biggest event of the year. I would even, and in all honesty, I'd rank Adesanya above Covington, even if Covington wins. Yeah, oh, I would, I, I would give it to probably Adesanya over Masvidal easily. It, it's the, those two are kind of in a two-horse race for me at the moment. And again, if something really weird happens to cast doubt on them before the end of the year, then I'll, I'm happy to rethink it. But because... Initially, I thought Masvidal was going to run away with it if he won here, but for some reason, I kind of had a weird memory of the uh, Silva fight taking place in the like November or, Jan- or December of 18, not first bit of 19. So Adesanya's fought three times in 19, won all three of them, has the fight of the year right now. Title. He won the title. And became middleweight champion. Yeah, it, it's, it's kind of down to Masvidal or Adesanya for me right now, and... I'm leaning towards Izzy at the moment, but you need a guy who was like undefeated at middleweight and one of the best middleweights in the world. Yeah. Um. But this, yeah, th- like, those my, two had those two have had was, banner years. Now look, my initial reaction to the to the finish to the stoppage of this fight was it looked like Diaz could see out of both eyes. Uh, it looked like his eye wasn't swollen shut. And I feel like we've seen fights go on with worse cuts and worse and worse eye injuries. And I guess I was a bit surprised and I wondered if it was New York being overly cautious or the doctor being, uh, over, when I say New York, I mean the athletic convention, the doctor being overly cautious. I know one fighter, I forget who it was, said something on Twitter about this is the same doctor who said I had a broken leg or something. That would be Michael Chandler. Uh, and the fight he's referencing is when he lost the lightweight title, uh, Bellator's, to Brent Primus. All right. Yeah. Thanks for that. So. But then after the fight, I got a closer look at the cut. And it, it's a it's a it's a really nasty cut. And and I'm not a doctor or an or an, a medical expert, but I'm kind of not so upset about the fights because. 
it wasn't like an illegal cut. And Masvidal was lighting up his face, and Jack Diaz's face up. And could they could they have let the fight go on? Maybe I don't. Know. Yeah, but I mean, I'm just not. I'm not that angry or broken up over this. But I do think it's ironic because I was wondering, like, with with all with everything going on. The UFC was giving all the bells and whistles to this ESPN's promotion. I have never seen UFC go all in and just go so hard for a fight, promoting a fight in really quite some time, Robert. And, you know, um, I mean, ditto to ESPN for this one. They put out a lot of uh, promotional material and a lot of, I don't mean this negatively, they did a lot of, like, storytelling for the history of both Diaz and Masvidal building up to this. Right. It's rare we see an event built up this much, a fight built up this much. And I'm thinking, wow, wouldn't it be funny? They got the rock. They they have the rock coming out to do an entrance because he's handing over the BMF belt to the winner. I'm like, yeah. what if this ends in like a minute and a half and like a DQ or a no contest or like, or like there's a cut, someone gets cut or someone's eye gets poked and that's it. And then. That would be a massive embarrassment. Just that, oh, that that might have incited a riot, like genuinely. <laughs> but you you yourself were thinking, man, Diaz does get he gets cut very easily. Yeah, uh, I didn't say this very much publicly. I think I told a couple of like just as a kind of musing aloud thing to a few of my friends uh, that you know, especially like as the day wore on, I just kind of went. You know, Diaz's face is more scar tissue than, like, first-generation dermis. And Masvidal, if he's smart, and he is a smart fighter in many, many respects, if he cuts him open, we might see that stop due to that. And I'm not the only one who said this. There were a couple of people who, like, publicly or whatnot said, yeah, I predicted this just because New York's a very, uh, a bit... And for a variety of reasons, and I don't mean this as a huge negative, but they are more inclined to stopping fights due to cuts than other commissions. And we can, uh, that's a, again, that's kind of a thing now. Well, the Jones, just for example, the first Jones Gustafson fight in Toronto, in Toronto, uh, the doctors wanted to stop that fighting and which would have given the title to Gustafson, but John McCarthy said no. Uh, that, yeah, that was that was a pretty gnarly cut on John in that fight. And I don't know if that cut. Now I don't know if that cut was as bad as these cuts to Diaz here. Um, okay, it, it's it's kind of a weird thing because what do you mean by? And I don't mean you specifically. Like this is a this is just a. It's just one of those weird things we see in the sports sometimes, you know? Yeah, I mean, what constitutes bad from a fight doctor perspective? Um, there's actually a guy who does a bunch of, uh, like, a medis- uh, like uh, medical or doctor-related stuff pertaining to sports and sports injuries and whatnot, who, in the immediate aftermath of this, had a video up about the cuts on Diaz, what doctors are looking for, um... I forget the guy, name of the guy's YouTube channel. I mean, uh, that, that's a good thing. I mean, so that's why I'm like, this maybe isn't such a bad thing this happened. Because I don't know the severity. I'm not a doctor. I don't know the severity of the cut and what was going on and what was being looked at. Uh, other than the, Other than the visual optics that, okay, 
Diaz looks okay. It looks like he can see out of both eyes. His eyes not swollen shut. Maybe they should let it go. But again, I'm not a, an, an expert or a doctor. So that's well, why I'm not so upset about this. Well, there's a few things that play into this beyond just can you see out of the eye. Like right. that's your right. ability to see is important and is certainly a, a primary consideration. But, and but I know I, I know a lot of people. Oh, where like his skull can get exposed. Like I'm thinking, yeah, they should probably stop it. I don't know. And again, I I don't know if there was exposed bone. If there is, and they said, oh, I can see your skull. We're gonna stop the fight. I hey, that's fine by me, man. Exposed bone is one of those things that okay, we can stop this. Because um, I know you can like cover up a cut with Vaseline, but you're not allowed to medically treat. You're not allowed to like medically treat injuries in in a in a, in a fight setting, correct? Depends on what you mean by medically treat. Well, like you can't, like you can't sew something up, or you no, can't. You, like, you can't do stitches, but what they tend to do is utilize. Uh, cut men have access to a variety of like minor of uh, chemical, chemical things that will help induce coagulation and restrict and constrict blood flow to the area to stop it from bleeding. You see that a lot. There, there's treatment they're not allowed to do, right? Well, I mean, stitching up a wound takes time. Like you have one minute between rounds. But the, what can they not apply? What are they not allowed to apply to the cut to treat the cut? I don't know. That would be kind of a commission by commission thing. Again, most of them have they have access to some kind of coagulant. Okay. Uh, a lot of times they use uh, like adrenaline or epinephrine byproducts because what those do when you take them is they actually constrict uh, blood vessels. And again, this okay. this fight doc this doctor's uh, video on this is very helpful. He has one on the Tyson Fury cut. Uh, where he goes in more, where he goes into slightly more detail about the kinds of things you do. Frequently, you again, you apply a lot of pressure to help stop the bleeding. You'll get your coagulant of some variety into the area to help facilitate clotting and stop the actual blood flow. And you use uh, uh, an end swell kind of thing to reduce swelling and kind of move it uh, and disincentivize the skin from inflammation. And then you apply Vaseline. Not to restrict, not to kind of stop blood flow, but to make the surface of the cut uh, very, very smooth. So that if you get hit, you're more likely to glance or slide rather than catch and tear anything on it. I got to say, though, I was very impressed with the work Mosfidal did here. I think he, he just used his range and kickboxing distance very well. I think he just engaged Diaz at all the right times. I mean, he was clearly using a lot of power, but he wasn't he wasn't gassing or overextending himself. And he knew how to how to deal with Diaz, you know, on the ground and not letting Diaz's sort of trash talk or just sort of attitude sort of get to him and make him fight stupid as people who fight Diaz sometimes do. So I think it was a very impressive performance and. I think he, I think he has to be in the title mix at least. Um, I'm not sure. I'd be fine if he gets the next title shot against the Covington Usman winner. That fight makes sense right now. Some of that will depend on who wins out of Covington and Usman. I think if I think if Colby wins and there's not a, you know, it's not a fluky, you know, bad. And I say fluky, it's not a wonky kind of finish. If Colby wins and there's not, you know. 
a foul or some egregious error on the part of the referee kind of thing. The heat that uh, Masvidal and Colby have at the moment, the way they've been, they've been kind of talking about each other and building that up, I think that's probably the direction they'll go. Um, Usman... No, I, Only other I don't, guy is, is Leon Edwards. Yeah. I mean, Masvidal is... If Masvidal wants the next title shot, he gets it, in my estimation. Like... And I have no issue with that either. After this fight, I I don't think they're going to be doing an immediate Diaz-Masvidal rematch, just based on Dana White's own statements. And I just feel like you have – I feel like this is the biggest Masvidal is ever going to be in his career. You have to capitalize on that. Yeah, it's kind of – I know Masvidal – look, I know both Masvidal and Diaz would sign for a rematch. That's the kind of fighters they are. But I think I kind of agree with you. If you're the UFC and you have this guy win, and again, this was not a fight where he was, you know, he landed a lucky punch that caused a fight ending cut and he was losing the fight. This was not a, you know, opening minutes kind of thing. They fought for three rounds. And it was, and I don't mean to say that Nate Diaz never had any moments of success because he did. But this wound up not being as much of a competitive fight. Like, right. Masvidal was running away with this in a lot of ways. I agree. So, and reporters even asked him last night, or one reporter did, at the press conference, would you step up to face uh, Covington or Usman if something happens in December? And he didn't say no. But he did say, you know, uh, UFC is going to have to sign a big check that it, uh, for me to do it, basically. You know, if I'm him and you have to do that kind of turnaround for one of for either of those guys. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, hey, look, man, get paid. Like, I'm uh, not going to hold first, that against Jorge at all. Other than that, I think he has to wait for the title shot. I think that's the only fight for him to take next, unless he's that adamant about a Diaz rematch. But, I mean, if if. If Masvidal really kind of digs his heels in and says, no, I want a rematch, I think they'll accommodate that. Right. But I don't think that's the direction they, the UFC kind of wants to go. I mean, I think you're exactly right. This card, and before we get into the other fights, this is one of the most surreal experiences I've had watching an MMA event. And just, and just let me put this in co- just to kind of throw everything out that occurred around this card. We've been to New York enough at this point that you know an event in Madison Square Garden is not the kind of groundbreaking thing it was when New York was the only state where the sport wasn't legal. But it's still a big deal. There's a lot of nostalgia attached to Madison Square Garden. You had a gimmick title fight, and I and I'm not saying that's a positive or a negative, but that is something the UFC has not done in a really long time, if ever, depending on how you want to think about it. You had The Rock come out to present the belt to the winner, the arguably the biggest movie star in the world. You had one of the bigger boxing events of the entire calendar year, Canelo versus Kovalev, deliberately push back the start time to their main event so as not to coincide with the UFC event. 
and you had the president of the United States sitting cage side. Like Jeff, not in a suite or or a bot or or like a, an executive boxer suite. He was out on on cage side on the floor. I, I know he spent time on the floor. He spent time back in the suite with Dana White as well. But yeah, like the freaking president. And what I'm not here to talk about your politics, whatever you think about the man. I don't care. You don't care what I think. Fair enough. We're not here to talk about that. But that's still the president. A president of the United States has never been live attendance on the floor for a UFC fight ever before. This is the first time in MMA history. And for a guy like, you know, Jeff and I have both watched this sport for a really long time. This was the cult. This was a surreal experience to watch all of this come together in a sport that on ESPN in on, on freaking in parts of it on freaking ESPN for a, a sport that I vividly remember. Look, I mean, we made jokes about about the you know, the sport not being legal in New York for a long time. When I started watching this, New York was not the only state that did not legalize mixed martial arts. I remember when the UFC was running the Hard Rock Hotel, like uh, not even, you know, the uh, like the big casinos in Vegas. I was I watched some of the, you know, tough shows that were at, you know, like when I say the Hard Rock, like the Hard Rock, not hotel kind of thing, but, you know, the like actual restaurant, like those tiny little like 300, 500 seat venues. I think Anderson Silva debuted in the Hard Rock, actually. I think his fight with Chris Lieben was a, was a venue like that. But point being, I've want and this is not look at me. I've been here so long, but you want to understand why this was surreal? I watched that stuff. Had to fight tooth and nail to get where it is. Like not not just like crawl, just like fight every step of the way to get to this point. And and it's pretty, it's it's stunning. It's it's like. Even when the sport was becoming a lot bigger, you almost never, you almost can't imagine something like this. The, in a way. I really can't stress this enough. The biggest star in boxing right now, Canelo Alvarez, had his fight delayed over an hour to not conflict with this main event. I was, the place where I was watching this, they had the, the box, the, the, the days in boxing fight on another TV. And like, so you, it's almost like you were watching both events at the same time. They showed was, this event on big screens at the uh, at the Canelo Kovalev fight, right? So, but it's like they were they're just like pushing, stalling for time. They're stalling for time on one of the biggest boxing cards of the year to not run up against the Diaz Masvidal fight. It's crazy. Yeah, again, this was absolutely surreal for me to watch as a guy who's. You'll watch the sport for as long as I have in that respect. Uh, utterly insane. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it just goes to show, you know, when you think like some of the stars are falling or going away and the sport is reaching a downturn, and then then this sort of fight kind of just comes out of nowhere and the stars align for sort of a crazy surreal. Yeah, it's a, surreal is a good way to put it. Um, it's It's... This was one to remember. We'll be talking about this for a long time. I wait. Um, uh, 
Fantastic. But going back to that, for Masvidal, the only other fight that would be would be like a welterweight or a catchweight fight with McGregor, which I don't even like. I got to be honest. I don't even like that fight. I am not terribly interested. Um, I think Masvidal would probably take him apart. <laughs> I Yeah, so it's like... Yeah, I yeah I don't even like. I, I feel the only one that makes sense is the title fight. You have to cap. Look, Masvidal is a Masvidal is a huge star right now, and I'm not in. And I'm not sure his star will ever be this big or bright again. And if I'm Masvidal, I'm finally at this point. I want to fight for the title and try to become a champion because, I mean, after watching this fight, I don't I don't hate how he matches up with Usman or Covington. No, I would. While I might uh, analytically, and this is before I've really done any kind of deep dive on the tape of either Usman or Covington uh, yet, I might lean towards either of them uh, over him. But I don't, I, I don't hate his chances, and I would not be surprised if he won. Yeah, and I, I mean, I probably favor Usman over him more than Covington. A little bit, yeah. Just based, mean, just based on stylistic choices both men make. This And maybe this fight isn't even quite as big. That title fight isn't even as big as Masvidal versus Diaz. But it it's would be not. It wouldn't, but it would still be a big fight for them. So, I, you know, you've got, you know, when, when, when McGregor's picture in this sport is very questionable, I feel like you have to sort of strike while the uh, I, this to me this is one of those strike while the iron is hot situations you know yeah i agree because this fight just happened we would we we hope that covington and usman are going to fight next month so to me the timing really works those guys will get a break masvidal gets a break they'll fight masvidal fights the winner of the title fight it make to me it makes all the sense in the world yeah, um, last thing I want to say about the cuts on this very briefly, and let me be clear, this is just my perspective. I was doing live commentary uh, watch-along stuff with Mark over uh, the main card for this event, which you can find over on the Rattletch and Broadcasting Network if you're so inclined. Um, that cut opened up in the first and was not... like That cut in the third at the end of the third is not the same as it was in the first. That cut got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger as the fight went on. It also, and this has to do kind of with the arc of the cut and why I think it might be, a, I was more okay with the stoppage than some. Look at the way it's kind of curling down over Diaz's eyebrow and in kind of towards his eyelid. That entire, I wish I had video because I could show you on myself. But that, like, that right, you know, third or so of his eyebrow and eyelid is actually sagging down in front of it. Like, he can still see out of it, or there, I can't say that. There is a field of vision to be had there uh, from, a, from an outsider perspective looking in. But that whole thing is kind of is slumping down. If that goes down further into his eyelid... Uh, and that whole like part of his head, of his face starts, you know, falling down. Do we really need to see someone's eye fall out of their head before we stop a fight, guys? Because I don't want to. I don't need to see that. Like I really don't. I was okay with it. Uh, I know a lot of people screamed bloody murder about the fight between Tyson Fury and uh, Otto Valine. 
and that that fight wasn't stopped and this fight was um a partially different commission and i don't get me wrong if you want to scream about the lack of clear universal standards about what constitutes a fight being stopped from a medical perspective i understand and the fact that people in the employ of the public because athletic commissions are state-run agencies state-run agencies are Oh, they owe the public, those who they are supposed to represent, uh, a greater degree of transparency than they have. I get it, but there's a, but there's a couple of things about that. One, I kind of think that maybe that Fury fight should have been stopped, and that was kind of a miscarriage on the part of the, you know, on the part of safety in that respect. Two, the real problems for Diaz in this fight with the cut, I think, from both a visual and a uh, mechanical perspective came when it split through his eyebrow. The The dangerous cut on Fury is not actually the big gash. Everyone kind of goes, oh, man, they let that go. It's actually the one under his eyebrow. That's the more dangerous one because that leaks more directly into his eye and is potentially more dangerous to the musculature surrounding the eye and that kind of helps it work. Once that kind of splits through the brow, especially if the arc of the cut is trending down more towards your eye. I tend to think that's the kind of the point when, and again, I'm not a doctor. I'm not second guessing anyone necessarily. I'm pointing out what I saw and what things look like from my perspective. When those cuts start trending that direction and they're demonstrated throughout the course of the fight to be getting bigger, I'm kind of okay with it. Uh, Again, I'm not freaking out over this stoppage. Again, I know a lot of people were. I understand it wasn't the finish everyone wanted. But in all honesty, if MMA trends a little bit more towards a direction of doctor stoppages due to cuts, I don't hate that trend at the moment because, frankly, a lot of MMA fights go too long. And I say that as a fan of violence. So... Again, my perspective, take it for whatever it's worth, however much you choose to wait, you choose to give it. Um, good fight for as long as it lasted. The images photo right now, and it, it looks pretty bad. Yeah, there's but a few... Like, like, I don't know. It, to me, this almost, it looks worse than what it did on TV. It it probably does. Like, there was some, uh, like, immediate swelling that went into it um, on TV, and TV has a little bit of, like, red filters anyway most cameras. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's elements of like the pigmentation and whatnot that kind of gets lost. A lot of this, that a lot of still photo photographs will capture a little bit better. And there's pictures out right now of Diaz after he's stitched up. It's not just so much the size to me, but the position of where it is. Yeah. Like it's positioned badly and the cut is continuing to open up in a bad direction. Yeah. Cause yeah, as you said, this, he got the cut, early in the fight he had had it in the first round so they gave it three full rounds so i'm not that i'm not quite that upset over it you know because when you when i initially saw like oh like i was like oh man diaz is already busted open they could they could stop this fight a couple minutes into it just because of a cut because we've seen fights get stopped very quickly over 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 cuts you know it does happen um yeah i I mean and i actually again i said this live 
I didn't think the cut needed to really be looked at until after the third round because it was the third round when Diaz started kind of wiping at the blood in his eye and kind of pawing at that. And when you see that and that Masvidal kept hitting it, like at that point, I, I mean, again, I said this live with Mark. I'd like the doctor to at least take a look at it at this point. It seems right. to be becoming a problem. Um, what was the other thing? I mean, just in terms of the title picture, too. The UFC was ready to book Masvidal against Usman for the title in the main event. And they, I think ESPN even reported at one point that they even looked at Masvidal versus Edwards for the title, right? Uh, for this card? Yeah. Yeah, they, they mentioned they'd looked at that. Leon Edwards uh, shot that down, said that wasn't the case and wasn't happening. But well, This is what ESPN like reported. Mm-hmm. I, I know the reports were out there. Yeah, especially like Leon Edwards shoots it down doesn't mean it wasn't talked about. I, I imagine it was talked about again. I I have no problem believing the UFC kind of went, oh, crap. Nate's making a stink about his drug test. Do we have a backup? No, no, this is before that. Before the, the this is before the at, this is before they announced Diaz versus Masvidal. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I imagine they might have considered that, yeah. But well, yeah, and I know they were, again, I knew they were trying to get Usman onto this card I for a while. Masvidal and his management, they have to be, you know, just be a little patient here and wait for that title fight and try to get that title fight set up. Oh, uh, and uh, um, Masvidal walking to the cage with boxing god Roberto Duran. Uh, that was awesome. Uh. There's actually, uh, you know, credit to Duran. He gave a lot of credit to Diaz. There's a, they took a couple of photos as he was leaving the cage. I think there's pictures of Duran and Trump now, actually. I think, uh, w- was Duran the guy who came into the cage with Masvidal after the fight? Yeah, yeah, the guy with the, uh, yeah. I forget the style of hat that it is, but. That kind of. Yeah, the guy that he had his arm around when he was standing there with the belt. Yeah, that's Roberto Duran. Was That was Roberto. I'm like, I thought that. I didn't connect. That was Roberto Duran. But um, and then again, like for those of you unfamiliar with Roberto Duran, look him up. All time boxing great. After the fight, he's eating the pizza, drinking, drinking booze. And and he's wearing the scarf. He's wearing the Scarface suit. He's like, get me some more pizza. or I'm going to end this press conference. You know what, man? You do you, Masvidal. (laughs) Uh, I, I will say. Masvidal, because I never, you know, I when he was in Strike Force, I never ima- imagined him becoming like, you know, this big UFC. I thought he'd be a like a decent UFC fighter, like he was kind of amounting to. But now he's a big star, so good for him. You know, for a guy that just kind of toiled for as long as he did, and for a guy that a lot of people who you know break down a lot of tape would look at Masvidal and go, okay, there's a lot of stuff about his game that you want to show other fighters, like study how he jabs, study elements of his footwork. Like there's nothing he's bad at. It was just kind of connecting everything and then getting the mentality right consistently over the course of a full fight. That seemed to be the hurdle he was dealing with. He seems to have dealt with it now. And it, it is nice to see guys who just persevere and persevere and persevere finally breakthrough like this we'll see see how he would do against like a just a really well-rounded gamer like usman i really want to see 
I would really want to see how he matches up with either of those guys. I really want to see that fight very badly. Yeah, that's that's a, those him again. Him in the title fight is going to be a fight that is rapidly gaining steam as okay. time goes on. So the worst fight of the night was this Darren was uh, this was not the worst fight of the night. For my money, it was the worst fight of the night. Darren Till. It was, it was close. <laughs> Darren Till versus Cal. We once again had two judges giving reverse scorecards, which is one of my biggest pet peeves in the uh, sport. Yeah, a, a 30 27 each way is not something that should ever realistically happen. Now, it should never happen. Look, I'm going to put my hand up. In- I mean, it, to me, it was one of Gaslam's worst performances of his career. But go oh, ahead. Yeah, yeah. L- l- he was incredibly gun shy. Uh, credit to Till for a few things he was doing differently. He didn't lean as much as he did down at welterweight. That's what got him caught several times. He didn't. Uh, he did a lot more angling. He was very good about getting in to you know potential punching range, landing, and then pivoting and angling away before Gastelum could really kind of settle himself and get into a return fight. Uh, he avoided firefights. Did the- well in the clinch. Dealt with the takedowns well. Solid leg kicks. He did some damage to Gastelum's lead leg. Not a spectacular outing from Darren Till, but one of the more complete, consistent, and like mature outings you'll you've seen from him well, during his UFC well, time. Gastelum's wrestling is very underrated. He got a couple takedowns, but he couldn't he couldn't do anything with them. Till was able to get back to his feet fairly quickly or or just stay out of trouble or just stay off of his back. So Yeah, he did he was really good about never letting Gastelum get anything approaching a yeah. control position. It wasn't the same as when he fought Woodley. Um Well, Gastelum and Woodley are also very different wrestlers, but yeah. I mean, um, Till didn't impress me that much either here, but I, I just don't, I mean... Yeah. Again, there's minutiae and there's details that he did very, very well that he didn't before. But if you're talking like broad but picture... These were just kind of marginal 10-9s to me, but I I, I couldn't score this fight for Gasoline. Yeah, again, I'm gonna... I'll put my hand up in the air and once again say I don't necessarily always stand by how I score fights live. I was 30-27 Gasoline with live coverage. Oh. Really? I... Yeah. Oh. Look, again, well, I'm, I'm not... Sorry. No, 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 look. I'm not going to stand by that. I'm really not. I mean... I just thought it was an uneventful, just dull fight where just very little happened. And... Yeah. Honestly, I was so underwhelmed by Till's performance, I wouldn't have been... I, honestly, I wouldn't have been upset if he was given the loss either. It's because it was so... It was just a lulling fight where not much happened. Yeah, whatever way that... And look, I think there's probably a more cogent 29-28 argument for Gaslam than 30-27, but yeah, I'm... For, all right, I would cop to that, yes. But not not 30-27 both ways. Yeah, I again, the scores were all over the place because this was a weird fight to score round by round. I mean, look, if you do... I think if you use the, you know, the pride method of at the end of the fight, who won the fight, Darren Till. I, I don't think that's terribly contra- a terribly controversial perspective to take. 
But and the fight itself was just kind of there, which sucks because I was looking forward to this one and for whatever reason, just didn't kind of materialize the way we all hoped it would. Um, there until we'll probably fight someone else in the top 10 now, I imagine. And I don't know how I, I don't know how he's going to match up against those guys. I wouldn't I hope they don't hot shot him to the title level. No, please immediately give him a shot at style bender just for my own amusement. Cause Adesanya will just smoke him. <laughs> um, a significant I, setback for Gastelum. Uh, I mean, what about real big setback. Or Derek Brunson? For Till? Yeah. Or Uriah Hall, even, because we were talking about that last week. Hall, maybe. I don't think they'll do Brunson. Uh, I think they're going to have to look at guys again. Like, Let me bring up the rankings here. I think I they're going to gonna, they're gonna have to be looking at somebody... Ranked roughly not, commensurate with. After last night, I would not do Shabazi. If you want, if you want to, if you want to try to give him a win. No, we'll we'll get to Shabazi, and um, you know, you could maybe um. They had Cannoneer on hand to fill in for this fight if something happened to either guy. No, I, I think that's a bad idea. I mean, Cannoneer's very clearly. Cannoneer should be more clearly in the title picture than he yeah. is at the moment. But I think Cannoneer and Till's doable. No, not no way. I mean, I think Cannoneer smokes him, but I think you put you get you got to give Till someone closer to ten or fifteen at this point. Well, he just beat the number four guy, and we know how the rankings work. He's now going to be ranked number four. I don't think he should be number four though. After I. Hey, I don't disagree. I'm just saying how it is. Like, Gaslam clearly isn't number four anymore. I would probably have, t- I would probably have uh, Till outside of the top five. I mean, I would, too. I would probably have him. That's why I'm saying, Ann Heinish is number nine. Brunson is number eight. Yeah, uh, Heinish will drop. I, I don't know. Doesn't Brunson have a fight? He might. Either he does or he very recently fought. I thought he he, rec- he recently fought. Yeah, he, yeah, because he, he, yeah, he beat Heinish, right? At 241. So, um, yeah, I would why is Why is Jacare still ranked? Unranked Jacare, he's not in the division anymore. Because it's the UFC ranking. I, I know, it's these these rankings are terrible. Um, but You know, if, if, you, wa- if you wanted to give him, hang on. If you wanted to give him a, a more stylistically favorable fight, but one that will be dangerous for him if it go if it does not go his way, maybe you do shoe face. I'd be fine with that. I like that fight too. I mean, again, if you don't like Darren Till, you go with like Shabazian or Romero or Cannoneer. What about <laughs> Just... Yatko? Is Yatko still a thing? I mean, Yatko's ranked number fifteen. However much that work that's worth. And he, eh, I don't know. I mean, again, there's a lot. I think anyone in the top 15 is probably a doable fight at this point. It would make sense. I just don't. Till, 
if you're trying to invest and build and rebuild up Till to be like a contender again, I just I would not put him in there with a Cannoneer for his next fight. If that's the direct, yeah, it, I, th- I think that's correct. If you want to again invest or, in or, him or, and build or, him, or you or Yoel Romero for that matter. Honestly. I mean, look, uh, you know Robert Whitaker could use a rebound fight. I I, I don't like that fight either. If I'm Till, I don't like it. If I'm Whitaker, I do. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Uh, look, for whatever this is worth, um, a lot of the people in England, like a lot of the media look, and whatnot. Look, look. Dana White was the one that said they pushed Till, like, too fast. Right? He was they the one did. that said that. He, then, he, then he's in... He's in, he's in a fight. He's in a co-main event with a former middleweight contender. In a top-ranked middleweight, he walked away with a win, but it was a very uneventful, dull win. I think you still have to try. You still have to try. To me, he's not ready for. He's not ready for the contender level at middleweight either, Robert. I'm sorry. He needs. He needs more time to build his confidence and and to get built back up. And he, I I think he needs to be tested more too, and we'll see how he does. I, I mean, objectively, I agree. Okay. Uh, he's also the, based on a lot of the metrics that like people in the British media talk about, he's apparently now that Bisbing is retired, the most important and like most popular British fighter I mean, in the sport. I mean, in terms of in terms of the marketability, sure, I see. I mean, he has a lot of he has a lot of upside. I definitely see all that. And with that in mind, I see no point to rush him back into the title picture when I think rushing him into the title picture in the first place was probably bad for him in the long run. Yeah, I agree. I I just also know the UFC does not have exactly the greatest well, track record of those long-term decisions. Uh, but, yeah, again... Much, much needed win for Till. Pretty significant setback for Gastelum, and okay, especially so, after the weight gaff. So here's what, e- just to kind of go back to an old topic, ESPN reported uh, back in September that the UFC threatened to strip Usman of the title and then book Edwards versus uh, Usman for the vacant title. That is not, excuse me, not Usman Mosfidal. At UFC 244. I have no issue believing they did that. And now this is a report. This came from ESPN and Ariel Hawani. So, you know. However much faith you want to put in that particular right. person and institution. So I'm just saying the UFC almost booked a title fight with Masvidal for last night. That's why I think he needs to be in the title picture right now. I think that's the direction they want to go. I mean, and look, I don't have anything against Covington or Usman as pers- as people, as fighters, as personalities. Colby does a fair bit of traffic by all available metrics as a as a fighting personality. Usman had some momentum, but he seems to have cooled given the time off since the uh, Woodley fight. But Masvidal's kind of the crossover star right now, and they're going to try to put him into the title picture. Okay. So, Uh, now, 
I don't know how you thought about this fight, but when you talk about high-level striking, stand-up, kickboxing, striking clinic, I feel like that's a good description for this next fight with Steven Thompson and, and Vicente Luque. Yeah, this one, Luque had a competitive first round, but the longer this fight went on, the more it favored Thompson. Uh, Old-school, vintage Steven Thompson. This was a... This is a Thompson we haven't really seen for quite a while. Well, he did a couple of things differently than he normally does, and I'm not sure what exactly precipitated this, but Thompson did a lot more standing in the pocket than he normally does this fight. He was he was still mobile, still did a lot of the stick and move, still a lot of flicking the jab, a lot of the same kicking game. But if you look at some of the exchanges between him and Luke A., much more so than his previous fights, he's willing to get into the pocket, fire a few punches, and then instead of immediately exit, wait, either block, slip, or just get hit. And then like, he just extended a lot of those uh, pocket exchanges by another uh, couple of seconds, another exchange or two. And that's not something he's done before. It was uh, It's more dangerous. He got hit more uh, in this fight. It also did open up elements of him being able to land more consistently. So I don't know if he's just slowing down. I mean, he's like 36, I think, something like that. He's over 30. He's going to slow down. It, it's inevitable. 37. I, 37. Gee, he's almost 40. So he's he's 37. Well, he started, My, he started his career fairly late. In MMA terms, yeah. Oh no, he's thirty. He's he's thirty six actually. No, okay. Unless this is off, because I heard him say last night he was thirty seven. So I don't know. He might just be really close. He's yeah. He's he turns technically turns thirty seven in February. In February, okay. yeah. So he, he's really close. But yeah, he's uh, not spring chicken, but you know he's a very. He he pointed out last night that they don't kill themselves in the gym. You know, they don't... Which is a, which is a good go strategy for a lot of people. I mean, there's a very real argument to be made that the best uh, the best of Michael Johnson was left in the gym after his gym wars. Uh, so, again, I don't know if Thompson is just slowing down. I don't know if he saw something in Luke's game specifically that made him want to engage that way. I don't know if he's just trying something new. Like, hey, let's see if this works. I mean... I wish Thompson looked this good against Woodley. Just looked very sharp, very technical. Like this is this was like the good Stephen Thompson that you like that you like to watch fight. Yeah, yeah. This was this was technically fight of the night for this event. Uh, what? Yeah, this was fight of the night. Uh, a surprisingly one-sided affair again. That third round and I. I'm going to do a mea culpa here as well. I did not give Thompson a 10-8 third round doing this live, and I absolutely should have. That's, again, mea culpa. That's on me. Uh, really standout performance from Thompson, and he really needed one. I mean, he'd only won one fight in his previous five. Okay, was a, I mean, this a six, he rather. a soft touch. He gave him a very, a guy who was looking great going into this fight, really. 
I mean, Luke was on a six-fight winning streak in ten and two in the UFC overall coming into this fight. Yeah, this was this was not a get well fight on paper for Thompson. But he absolutely made the most of it. And uh, you know what? Again, good for him. Entertaining fight. I don't know where he goes from here because he's just in this weird spot in well, uh, in a somewhat weird division. Thompson or Luke? Thompson. Uh, there are fights for him. I, I mean, yeah, there's fights. Um, um, you know, I don't hate the thought of him and Damian Maya. I don't hate that either. That would. That would be the fight for the. That, that would be the battle between the two nicest guys in the sport. What about Dos Anjos? That's another one. I think that's a good fight. Has Has Thompson? I don't think he's fought Robbie Lawler. No, that was the fight we were all kind of expecting. But then uh, again, Tyron Woodley upset the apple cart as far as that goes. Um, hmm. Yeah, that's a thought. It, uh, I don't know what I don't know what Lawler's situation is right now, though. So I here are the ones that I think they're still trying to find an opponent for him for two forty-five. Um, Lawler, that is. So depending on how things go, I like the Lawler fight. Dos Anjos, Ponzinibbio. If we can get if we can get him fight Healthy. ready. <laughs> um. Pettis is, uh, Till is still right number 10. Yeah, no, take uh, Till uh, out of the rankings, and I don't think you do the rematch with Pettis. You see, you, you see, just in terms of a matchup, I like a Dos Anjos or Lawler fight better than a Maya fight, honestly. In a lot of ways, I agree. Because I think, and this is no disrespect to Maya, I feel like Thompson still has some upside right now, because he could still be in, like... He's almost kind of like a Carlo, what Carlos Conant was to this division was like several years ago, you know? And yeah, I can see that. I think he's a good asset to have around in your pocket, you know, for a fight night main event or if he can, if he can kind of be a little consistent, I think I, I could possibly see him having one more title run. Um, so I like the Lawler fight. <laughs> Boy, you know what? Now that I think about it, he'll fight too. I mean, I I just want Ponzinibbio to fight again. He can get in there, but yeah, go ahead. You know, just as I'm thinking about Stephen Thompson as a fighter, he matches up in quite favorably with both Covington and Usman. Actually, <laughs> like part of the problem that he had with Woodley was Woodley's perpetually backing up and not really yeah. looking to engage. Both Usman and Covington tend to come forward and play into him a lot more than Woodley did. I wouldn't mind I I I wouldn't mind seeing either of those fights uh somewhere down the line. Um but that's going to depend on Stephen Thompson and who he gets matched up with next. Yeah. I think those are good fights if they are, if they ever happen they're good fights. Yeah, absolutely. All right, uh my worst fight of the well, you know what? No. Not my worst fight of the evening. Um, probably the worst fight of the main card for me. Derek Lewis and Blagoy Ivanov. The fight went about how I expected. Yeah, they fought to a uh, split decision win for Derek Lewis. Um, per usual, Derek Lewis's post-fight interview and comments are much more entertaining than anything he does in the cage. 
I mean, look, credit to the guy for just being a genuinely funny human being on the mic. Uh, there was not a lot here to this fight. Um, Lewis did what Lewis always does. Throws a couple of kicks early, gasses out, spends long periods of time moving badly, sucking wind, exploding for a bit of time. It's doing much better in the cardio. Oh, oh, no, no. Like neither of these guys have cardio (laughs) to speak of. Ivanov did a lot of backing up, which he usually does kind of looking to counter clinch up, look for takedowns. He got a few takedowns just into straight up side control. Unfortunately, um, and this is not unique to Ivanov, but I'm going to use him to make the larger point. Side control as a position is not in MMA what it used to be. A lot of guys and girls, a lot of fighters, have figured out how to utilize the reality of side control from the bottom to escape. And the lighter weight classes do it more technically. If you're Derek Lewis, you wait for Blagoy Ivanov to apply a sort of Americana badly, and then when he cranks on it the wrong way, use that motion and the fact that he's kind of coming off of you to roll through and get out. Um, this was not, a t- again, this was not a very good fight. I could could see scoring it for either man. I don't care. Uh, look, good on Lewis getting a win. Good on him having another somewhat memorable interview. Uh, nothing as memorable as my balls was hot, but they can't all be that level of home run. Uh, just eh, eh fight. Um, what was not a meh fight? Good, <laughs> good Lord. Kevin Lee separated Gregor Gillespie's soul from his body with a head kick two minutes and 47 seconds into the first round. This was a brutal knockout. I mean, yeesh. Um, Gillespie had moments. Both men had moments of success when they were striking. Lee's jab looked good. And I mean, Lee has a freakishly long reach for the division. But Gillespie was able to kind of either eat it and land a counter or slip and land his own jab. He was landing some decent punches, but Lee... Just kind of got him backing up a little bit, landed a right, and Gillespie tries to circle to his own right, and his hands drop. And if I had to guess, his thought was, I'm close to the fence, and Kevin Lee tends to throw the right and then shoot a double leg. And he wanted his hands down to go to either down blocking or fighting for underhooks or... Something along those lines to try and defend himself against the the takedown attempt. Kevin Lee did not shoot a double leg. Kevin Lee fired a left head kick, caught him square under the jaw, and he fell stiff as a board and he was out before he hit the ground. Poor Gregor Gillespie is going to have to relearn the difference between a steel head and a rainbow trout at this point. That was nasty. Uh, much, much needed win for Lee. That that finishing combination was a thing of beauty. Yeah, that ooh. I'm gonna like I've seen that that same combination works a lot of the time, but that was very well executed. Lee, Lee looks Lee Lee was in I don't know. 
He looked like Ke- like Gillespie owed him money. Uh, this was Kevin Lee's first time fighting with after training under Faraz Zahabi. And that seems to be a pretty good fit for him, actually. I mean, look, he has one fight with him, and it resulted in a spectacular finish. Um, sometimes you need, sometimes changing things up in a, it can, it can, it not always, it, it can, it can seriously hinder a fighter as we've seen, or it can really help. Them. Um, in this case, it was the latter. So, well, yeah, I mean, you and I had talked a little bit about how Lee seemed to be, uh, treading water and or floundering a little bit after the passing of his former head coach, Robert Fallis. But also after the Ferguson fight, I think. Well, I think that happened. I think, it, I think they kind of happened close together, didn't they? Fallis and the. Um, I, I think, think it was Fallis closer. I think it was closer to the Barboza fight than the Ferguson fight. Let's see. December 2017. So it was, uh, it was basically a couple months after his fight with Ferguson. Yeah, yeah. So it was, um, and he got the win over Barboza, but oh man, yeah, he smashed Barboza. But then but yeah, the I, that's the been hang on him for a while. Yeah, that and Faraz Sahabi seems like a good fit to kind of take over that head coach kind of guru position of okay, you have all the, you know, I'm not going to be, I'm not necessarily going to do all of your individual training, but mm-hmm. I'm going to craft the game plan and I'm going to refine things and I'm going to kind of, you know point the missile so to speak Sahabi's a very good he's very good with the mental training as well so I think it looks like a good fit for Lee and, and Lee really need, he, I mean I feel like he didn't just need a win he needed a win an impressive stunning win like this to kind of show you show you, you know Lee has had setbacks before but this was the first time he had back-to-back losses in his career. Yeah. Right. So he really needed, you know, to show why he could, you know, he was a guy who was at the title level before. Because for a while it wasn't looking like that. Um, I will say, um, since we brought up the Tony it, Ferguson fight. this time. So that was another good thing for him. Uh, I will say this also about Kevin Lee and the Tony Ferguson fight. Um you remember that giant bit of staff he had on his chest in the Ferguson fight? I remember. Same thing in this fight. I mean, he he steps on he's he takes his shirt off in the prep point. And he's got that same giant bulge in about that same spot. And I went, "Wait, did he have staff infection again?" Did you not see the? Have you seen the pictures of him in this fight? I mean, I didn't it, <laughs> look at his chest. <laughs> How did you? I I mean. I, I don't know. I know, like, I, he ta- again, he takes off his shirt in the prep point. There's that giant lump that's red. Like, oh, he's got staff again. <laughs> like, look at that thing. Oh, or, I mean, is it a permanent? Like, what is going on here? Uh, I don't know if it's the exact same location okay. as the previous I, one. It is close. I don't see it in the weigh-in photo. Uh, no, no, look at him on fight night. Okay, I see it now. No, wait. Sitting next to his collar. I don't really see it here. Oh, it's there. Hang on. Okay, maybe this one. Maybe it's because of the lighting. 
Okay, I, I think I see it. Yeah, it's like kind of dead center in his chest near his like uh, right near the inside of his right clavicle. I mean, I hope what? it's not something more serious than staff then. It's in a slightly different position than his previous one. I mean, I don't. I mean, but yeah, it's. You, I mean, you. I mean, just sometimes you. I mean, you can't fight with the staff infection. It's not. Oh, sorry. It is my mistake. This one is much more towards his sternum, like at the top of his pectoral muscles okay. on his right side. I, I see what you're talking. I just don't. I mean, I don't. I don't. I don't know. I'm not. As I recall, um, Luke Rockhold was allowed to fight Weidman while dealing with a staph infection, as I and he was on antibiotics, as I recall. Again, I'm just pointing out, uh, I hope that uh, at a bare minimum, the New York State Athletic Commission was able to reimburse Gillespie for the ba- for the like bathtub full of Purell he dunked himself in after the fight. I mean, hopefully. I hope. Because, yeah. It's contagious and it's very dangerous. It, uh, yeah. Oh, it absolutely is. And, yeah, he visibly pretty clearly had it. I mean, I don't have a anything else to say about it than, hey, he got away with somehow hiding a staff bump again. I mean, unless they knew about it and were keeping an eye on it. I don't could know. Could be. And that's you certainly a possibility. Know. I, maybe, hopefully Dana White, but it, great fight. Um, um, sorry, just also on the, on the uh, subject of people fighting with staff, uh, from a couple of weeks ago, uh, Luma Lukbunmi had a very obvious staff infection. <laughs> Uh, again, kind of around the collarbone in her fight as well. So, come on, guys. Staff's nothing to screw around with. <laughs> right. Not, please. <laughs> All uh, right. Uh, as for the prelims. Good set uh, of prelims. A lot of finishes, yeah. Um, Corey Anderson defeats Johnny Walker via TKO 207 of the first round. This is the first time Corey Anderson has had a finish in the first round in his entire UFC run and is his first finish of any sort since he fought uh, a comically overmatched Sean well, O'Connell well, three years ago. Matt Van Buren was on the Ultimate Fighter finals. Oh, you're right. He did finish Van Buren yeah. uh, in... Yeah. My mistake. I forgot was, that he did that. That, that, was, uh, that was that was five and a half years ago, or almost five and a half years ago. So yeah, um, this seems to fall into the pattern as far of for Johnny Walker that he was living by in like Jungle Fight, when he'd have two or three really impressive uh, finishes, and then someone with just a good kind of fundamental game would offset him, and he didn't really have an answer. So. I hope he's not going to fall back into that pattern because that's a depressing pattern for all parties. Um, Anderson is in the title picture to one degree or another. Uh, The UFC seems to want to be leaning towards Dominic Reyes rather than Corey Anderson. I mean, Dominic Reyes is the one they've been putting in commercials and whatnot. So it kind of makes sense that way. But now that this fight's happened, I would, yeah, it's got to me. It's got to be Reyes. He he seems the most logical contender next, but Anderson is definitely in the picture at this point, if nothing else. Yeah. 
Uh, Shane Burgos defeated Makwan Amir Khani via TKO 432 of the third round. This was a beatdown. Um, Burgos had a bit of a tough round, uh, round one. But even in that, like, Amir Khani's clearly the one using more energy, doing so improperly, and has never had a great gas tank to begin with. And Burgos just brutalized him to the body uh, until he just kind of finally fell over in the third. Fight almost got stopped a couple times. Um, Amir Khani was just able to do enough to survive, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Edmund Shabazian, oh boy, in what was on paper the toughest fight of his career thus far against Brad Tavares. Nope. Blew right through him with a head kick knockout in the first round, two minutes and 27 seconds. Um, Edmund Shabazian is the real deal. I'm not saying champion. I'm saying future champion necessarily, but, uh, that's a guy that absolutely gets it. Um, definitely someone we have to pay attention to. And I just, I have to be a little bit sad about it because imagine how much better he'd be if he had a real coach. Uh, so jokes about Edmund Tarverdian aside, um, beautiful finish, great finishing instincts from Shabazian in this fight, uh, just annihilated a ranked opponent, a highly ranked opponent. I mean, Darren Stewart gave this guy a tougher fight. Um, that was actually a very, very close fight between him and Stewart that arguably should have gone to Darren Stewart. Uh, he seems to have learned from it though. And Shabazian keeps on rolling. Um, at heavyweight, Jarzino Rosenstroik defeats Andre Arlovsky via knockout at 29 seconds of the first round. Arlovsky lunges forward, Rosenstroik with the old check left hook, and Arlovsky face plants. Uh, Rosenstroik is a legitimate prospect at heavyweight. Whether he pans out or not remains to be seen, but he's undefeated. This was his, I think, third win in the UFC. Uh, someone to at least pay attention to. Then... On the early prelims, the worst fight of the evening, Caitlin Chukagian defeated Jennifer Maya via unanimous decision, 29-28 across the boards. Jennifer Maya missed weight for a second fight in a row. Never a good thing. Caitlin Chukagian continues to exist and have just the most uninspiring fights I've ever seen. She wants a title fight, and you know what? Here's my prediction if they make that fight. Not only will Valentin... I mean, look, Valentina is going to win. But it looks a lot more like Valentina versus Carmouche than Valentina versus I. Because Liz Carmouche in that fight did a lot of what Caitlin Chukagian does. Shadow box. Uh, and if you'll remember that fight, and I do, Valentina just kind of let Carmouche throw a bunch of stuff that fell four inches short of the target, kind of going, why are you doing this? And then hit her a couple of times. It would look a lot like that, though, given Chukagian's tendency to come forward as the fight wore on might result in more of a might actually give get you a finish. But if they make that fight, just watch uh, Shevchenko and Karmouche again and you'll kind of know what you're in for. Uh, Lyman Good defeated Chance Rencounter via TKO three uh, two minutes and three seconds into the third round. One of the better performances of Lyman Good's career. He looked sharp. He was landing really straight, powerful punches, good inside leg kicks, uh, just battered Rencounter all over the cage. Uh, real standout performance from Good. 
And kicking everything off, Hakeem Dawadu defeated Julio Arce via split decision. They were 29-28s. Uh, Could have gone to Arce. I think that's how I scored it, but I don't think 29-28 for either man is inherently wrong. Um, Dawadu continues to be a... I don't know. I, I know people were high on him and it kind of hyped him up, but I never saw it. I mean, it's not that he's a some kind of scrub. He's not. But I never really got what everyone else was talking about when they were, you know, really putting him over or oh, he's such a devastating striker. And yeah, he's devastating to guys who don't know what they're doing. Sure. But I don't know. Again, so he got a win, wasn't thrilled with his performance and nor should he be by most appreciable metrics apart from win or lose. And again, ho-hum fight, but not the worst fight of the evening. All right, Jeff, again, some fire on the preliminary card. What do you want to touch on? I mean, I'm like, what is Robert Winfrey going to think when, when a very angry Corey Anderson just smashes Johnny Walker? I don't think anyone predicted or saw coming, but uh, the Burgos destroying Americani over three rounds was fun. Uh, the Shabazian. Got to, uh, Shabazian's a guy to watch out for going forward, I think. Um, that's about it. It was a fun set of prelims, honestly. It was one of the more fun set of prelims in a while, really. I mean, we, we had talked about it, you know, last week that this card is a very deep card. Yeah. Like there's, there wasn't a whole lot of, uh, you know, fat on the boat. You know, there wasn't a whole lot of lean pickings. And again, you know, sure. Till versus Gaslam didn't pan out. Sucks, but it happens. Yeah. Lewis and Ivanov was a crappy heavyweight fight, which we all predicted. And Caitlin Chukagian did Caitlin Chukagian things. But uh, for a card that was as deep as this was, I'd almost say it even over-delivered, all things considered. I mean, I, I don't really... I mean, Dana White called it a B-minus. I'd probably give it a B or a B-plus, really, just for entertainment value. Yeah, again, the anticlimactic nature of the main event finish certainly takes away from it a little bit, and the Till Gastelum fight kind of being a dud. Even after sleeping on it, I'm really not bothered by the main event at all. Honestly, I got what I wanted. Oh, no, I I just met a lot of people that were calling BS on it. Yeah, and I understand, but I mean... mm, Whatever. Whatever. I I, I think I'm I'm generally fine with what happened. Uh, Yeah, I'm okay with it. So, really, really solid card. Probably will wind up being the most purchased pay-per-view of the year, if I had to guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, that was UFC 244. Thank you to everyone in the comment section of 411 Mania. Uh, always appreciate you guys. Thank you to anyone who read without commenting. I appreciate you guys just as much. Well, I appreciate you guys a lot. I I like having people to interact with. And again, I get it. If you don't have anything to say, don't say anything. That's I, I'm a lurker more often than not myself in, ter- in you know, s- circumstances like that. So I'm not trying to shame or pressure anybody. But it's also nice to know that I'm not completely alone when I'm doing some of these. And hey, maybe sometimes I am. I don't know. I don't see my own traffic numbers. But thank you, everyone. Uh, again, you can find my live uh, kind of watch-along commentary with Mark if you're interested in my spoken comments on the event as it was transpiring as well 
Uh, all right, and then that will lead us into this coming Saturday, UFC on ESPN plus 21. Uh, the UFC is back in Moscow for this card, and this card... Eh. I mean... No, I mean eh. Like, yeah. yeah. The, the main event was supposed to be Alexander Volkov and Junior Dos Santos, which is a good heavyweight fight. One of the few heavyweight fights that I could that like I don't hate going five rounds because those two know how to fight. They don't have the same cardio issues that a lot of other heavyweights do. Greg Hardy versus Volkov? No, no, no. Um, Volkov and JDS. That fight's not happening. No, no, that was the original main event. It's Greg Hardy. I know it is now. Don't don't you love that fight? No. <laughs> Uh, anyway, JDS has a staph infection in his, I think it was his left leg by the shin, and he I mean, he posted he posted a picture of it, uh, himself in the hospital. It was... I wish I never saw that photo. You are a squeamish person when it comes to the deconstruction of the human body. <laughs> when you say it like that, of course I am. Uh, anyway... That's not like a, a cute little minor statement you just made, Robert. Uh, look, you are. I am not. <laughs> That's just kind of how that is. Okay. It, it, it was a gruesome injury, though. It's just a fairly typical staff abscess that well, ruptures and is being drained. It wasn't, it wasn't minor. No, it was not minor. <laughs> but, um, so, I, mean, yeah. I, like the, I like the main event. Well, um, again, we, well, Greg Hardy steps in. Now we'll fight Alexander Volkov in the co-main event. Uh, the original co-main event of Zabit Magomed Sharipov and Calvin Cater gets bumped up to main event, though it's still only going to be three rounds. I mean, that makes sense because it's a last-minute shift. Yeah, I understand it. Uh, I think Zabit is going to be fighting for the title at some point in his career. It's entirely possible he's a very dynamic fighter, and there's a lot that is good about his game. I think there's a couple of issues he needs to iron out, and there are a couple of issues specifically that Cater might be able to key to and play into. One, Zabit always circles in the same direction, and that's not a good thing. And I don't mean in the same direction over the course of a fight. Sometimes you just have something in your opponent that means, okay, I'm always, almost always going to circle to the same side. Didn't Bisbing have a similar problem back in the day? I remember people talking about that with him. His issue was more, he would be, it was easy to corral him into circling a specific direction, as opposed mm -hmm. to he just always chose that same side. <laughs> um, no, again, Zabit does tend to always circle the same direction, fight over fight over fight. It's a good fight for both guys, though, I think. It is. Um, the other issue Zabit runs into... He doesn't hit hard. Um, he has good kicks. He has a solid grappling pedigree. I mean, I'm not down on Zabit, okay? I, I want to be clear. But he doesn't pack a tremendous amount of punching power, uh, which is a problem at times. He's got some repeatable... Uh, repeatable. He's got some habits that are potentially exploitable, and he's facing a guy in Cater who is... 
a very studious striker who will be able to key to those. Now, can Cater stop Zabit from closing distance if he wants to and forcing clinch battles or exchanges on the mat? That is a potential whole other story. This is, in fact, again, this is mixed martial arts, not just kickboxing. But there's some stuff in Zabit's game that, again, needs to be acknowledged as a potential uh, hole to be exploited, and Cater could exploit it. I'm still leaning towards Zabit in this fight, but it's not heavily. And I would not be surprised if Cater's the one who's able to kind of solve the puzzle, so to speak. Zabit's going to win this. It's going to be pure domination. It, hey, it could be. Again, if Cater can't stop him from forcing the takedown, yeah, Zabit is much better on the ground than Cater is. Zabit's a, fu- a future title contender. Mark my words. Okay. Uh, all right. I think we're just going to do quick hits for the rest of this card because I don't have much. Uh, again, your new co-main event, Alexander Volkov against Greg Hardy. This is the thing about heavyweight MMA. Volkov is the better fighter in every respect. But Greg Hardy hits hard. And Volkov, we've seen him get sloppy on occasion. Again, if we're just talking about skill, this is not a competitive fight. If we're talking about the reality of heavyweight MMA, Greg Hardy certainly has options to win. I'm still picking Volkov. But if Greg Hardy lands something that finishes this, I'm not going to be surprised. Uh, Zalim Imadiev and Danny Roberts are going to fight. Imadiev has fought in the UFC before, I think. At le- I believe probably only the once, maybe. Uh, he's 8-1 and one overall. Yeah, he lost his UFC debut to Max Griffin via majority draw, uh, majority decision. Had a decent enough showing, actually, though. And Danny Roberts is... Very up and down. And that said, he's coming off of two losses, so it might be time for him to be up again. Hmm. I'm going to pick Imadiev, uh, but that's actually a well-matched fight, all things considered. Uh, Ramazan Emiv will fight Anthony Rocco Martin. This is a good fight. I think this is the only other fight I'm going to say that about on this main card. Um, but Emiv is from Uzbekistan. Excuse me, Azerbaijan. Flags, man. I couldn't see the red uh, stripe in the middle. From Azerbaijan, two, uh, three and zero in the UFC. Jeez, I forgot he was that. He'd fought that many times. Yeah, three and zero in the UFC, getting a step up against uh, Rocco Martin, who should have had a major- should have had a draw against Damian Maya. Like the fact that Maya got that decision is just a miscarriage of the scoring criteria as currently understood. I don't think he won, but that should have been a draw. Uh, I've, I'm picking Martin here, but again, that's a pretty good fight, actually. Um, at light heavyweight, Shamil Gamzatov. Here's this gentleman from, from Russia. Okay. I'm going with Gamzatov until I hear otherwise. Undefeated, making his UFC debut. Had a pretty good run in the PFL, actually, as well as ACB. 
So dude's kind of been around. He's fighting uh, Clidson Abreu, who is 15 and three and one and one in the UFC, and he's coming off a win over Sam Alvey, which means very little. I'm actually going to go with Gamzatov there, but eh, I could be wrong. Um, all right. Else, uh, the rest. What else do we have? Um, Ed Herman. This might be in a different spot on the card than this. Um, Ed Herman and Hadis Ibrahimov will fight. Um, Ibrahimov eight and one lost his UFC to debut to Daun Jung. Boy, he got put through the wood chipper in that fight. Ed Herman's been in the UFC since 2006. When he lost a split decision to Kendall Despida Grove in the finale of The Ultimate Fighter Season 3. Uh, Herman beat Patrick Cummins' his last fight. Uh, I imagine he'll win if he doesn't get overwhelmed early because Ibrahimov is kind of a charge out, swing for the fences, gas out if I don't get it kind of guy. Um, Magomed Ankalaev is back against Dalcha Lungiambula. That's interesting matchmaking, actually. Um, Lungiambula had a solid debut when he beat uh, Daquan Townsend. He smashed that guy <laughs> in the third round. But uh, Ankalaev is a real grinder and a real tough guy to get out of there. I'm going to go with Ankalaev, actually, but... Interesting matchmaking there. Um, Rustam Havilov is still around and will be fighting Sergei uh, Handosko. Handosko's fought in the UFC before. Uh, won his debut against somebody, uh, Rustam Akman. Uh, whereas Havilov has been in the UFC for a fair bit at this point. Uh, what's he done recently? Lost to Diego Fajaya in February of this year. And Hobby loves a guy who just has has it just can't seem to maintain momentum, even when he has a giant winning streak. I'll probably pick Hobby Love for that fight, but uh, don't be surprised if Sergey pulls that one off. Roman Kopilov will fight Carl Robertson. Kopilov is undefeated, making his UFC debut. Uh, excuse me. Whereas Robertson has fought in the UFC a couple of times. Has been trading wins and losses. Um, probably go with Robertson there, but I'm not sold on that. Uh, Grigory Popov will fight Davy Grant. Uh, Popov, he's fought in the UFC before. Yeah, he fought Eddie Wineland and had kind of a barn burner for as long as it lasted, despite losing. I remember that. Uh, now that I think about it, and Davy Grant is kind of here to make Popov look good. Uh, Grant's lost his last two fights. He's only one in three in the UFC. Jeez. Um, excuse me, Abu. I'm gonna butcher this guy's first name. Abubakar Nurmagomedov will fight David Zawada. Uh, Zawada's fought in the UFC a couple of times, two losses. Uh, whereas Nurmagomedov is making his UFC debut. Coming off of a... He fought Boyan Velichkovic to a draw in PFL last year. Been off for a while, over a year, actually. 
go with Naraga Madoff. Zavada has just kind of been a body. Um, Alexander Yakovlev will fight Roosevelt Roberts. Um, Yakovlev had some potential at some point, but he's never really been able to put everything together. Um, by contrast, Roberts, coming off of, I believe, the first loss of his career, yeah, against Vince Pichel. So, Yakovlev might be able to just kind of smother him with grappling, but I I kind of like Roberts' chances there. And then kicking everything off, uh, Jessica Rose Clark will fight Panny Kianzad. Uh, this fight exists on this card for reasons nebulous to the thinking person. Uh, Kianzad... Lost her, re- uh, lost her return to the UFC, technical return to the UFC, uh, earlier this year. Whereas Clark uh, lost to Jessica I in her last fight out, but uh, actually uh, put up a decent enough performance in that. She hasn't fought since June of 18, though. Uh, I'll go with Rose Clark, uh, excuse me. Uh, with Clark. Her first name is hyphenated, not her last name. I apologize. Uh, Penny Kianzad is just kind of a journeyman-style body at this point to plug into cards like this. Alright, Jeff, again, that's your card such as it is. Uh, anything stand out to you? Uh, nothing else to add. Alrighty, then let us move on. Let's see here. Uh, again, Kind of a slow news week, but let's start with this. Uh, Because there was news made, Conor McGregor reached a plea deal in his assault case stemming from him punching that old dude in the bar. Uh, He avoids jail time, pays, I think, like a million... Oh, do they use pounds or euros? I forget what Ireland uses. It's based by Conor McGregor in bar Especially since apparently he can't punch if you're not actually moving towards him. The old guy just got punched and went back to drinking. Why did he? Did, did he ever say why he punched that guy? He refused a shot of McGregor's whiskey. I mean, like McGregor tried to buy a round for the bar. The old man said no. McGregor's ire got up and he hit him. Like that's. I think that's the loosest. That's the loose sequence of events there. Uh. I mean, I'm sure there were words exchanged as well, but yeah, so McGregor, no jail time, pays a million bucks to the a million dollar fine. I, I say dollar, I forget what unit of currency they use. I can't remember if it's pounds or euros. Insert unit of currency there, one million of it. As he, they say, a fool and his money are easily parted. That is true. Ugh. Uh I got I to gotta get, I, I have to get in a situation where I'm offered whiskey, whiskey by McGregor and turn it down and get punched in. Well, I mean, in fairness, he didn't pay the old man the million dollars. That was just his, like, civic fine. Oh, so the guy doesn't get anything? I don't know the specifics of the, uh, of the situation. He might have paid him, like, personally, but I don't think any of the what fine I, goes well, to him. You know, John Jones basically admitted he paid like a million dollars to that pregnant woman he hit in the hit and run probably to avoid a civil lawsuit and look if that's what two private parties want to do in in the you know terms of pri- again if the old guy if connor paid the old guy not to sue him 
uh, in civil court, then fair enough. Like, I don't actually think that's anything unethical or illegal or what have you. Well, like, what, what John Jones did to that woman was very unethical. Well, no, no, no. Look, the hit and run, absolutely. <laughs> but if he, like, preemptively says, goes to her and says, look, I'll cut you a check for a million dollars, sign this NDA, no legal action, and we're, and the uh, the dispute between you and I is officially settled kind of thing, that happens all the time. It's, uh, yeah. So uh, apparently, elements of the Irish media are very unhappy with this. But why would you be unhappy? There's a lot of people who don't like Connor. But I mean, I, I mean, his the, the sexual assault investigations, which are sort of, you know, they're Ongoing investigations. They're ongoing. We don't know what's happening too much about what's happening with those. But I mean, this thing, I mean, honestly, this thing, this is sort of how I saw it getting resolved. You know, it seemed like one of of Connor's recent offenses. This was one of his lesser offenses. In some ways, yes. Yeah. Um, All right. uh, Oh, regarding the. Uh, hang on, very briefly. Regarding the middleweight title picture. Yeah. Uh, Paulo Costa, the, I think, logical next title contender, One next challenger, uh, will be out. He's undergoing uh, some surgery on his biceps. I forget which one. Mm-hmm. And uh, is going to be out for a bit while he's dealing with that injury and recovery okay. process. Time for a catchweight super fight with John Jones. I don't think they're going to do that. I think it's more likely that they try to give him a title defense and that they just plug in somebody else. Uh, let's see. I, I mean, Darren Hill. <laughs> look, I mentioned it. I think Stylebender would smash him, but um, I mean, outside you, of you know, believe it or not. Uh, the next in line is Cannoneer. Cannoneer's uh, possible. I've seen a lot of people toss around the possibility of Yoel Romero, which I don't hate, I mean, in all honesty. Yeah, but how many back-to-back losses does Romero have at this point? Uh, just the two, I think. Only two? I'm pr- I think that's it. I don't want, but he lost two back to back and he missed weight against Whitaker in a title fight. Yeah. And I look, I'm not saying there's not downside to it. I'm saying that's something that I've seen bandied about and I'm intrigued by, I'm intrigued by the matchup more than anything else. I mean, I guess you could do, I mean, I guess you could arguably do it. And I mean, it's not like he lost to Paulo Costa in his last fight by some great margin. He arguably won. I don't know. It could be a tough matchup for Adesanya. And I think that's kind of the where the intrigue stems from. It's not a. I mean, you know, Romero is in many respects his own animal when it comes to what you're, what you get when you step into the cage, and how he matches up with Adesanya. I personally find very intriguing. But, again, it's kind of wide open, so if somebody over the next two months, 
uh, does something spectacular, uh, now would be a good time to make a move because your presumptive number one contender is out of the picture for a while. Uh, and I think the last thing I had that I kind of wanted to bring up that we can just laugh about. Uh, I don't even know how to start this. Diego Sanchez is apparently a free agent. So he's signing with Bellator. I don't know. I don't know what to. I don't know what I mean, to say about this. I just, I just wish he retired after that last win. I wish he'd retired 18 years ago. Okay. Okay. Means I never would have had to watch him fight. Uh, you're you're mean. I've seen too many Diego Sanchez fights. I don't uh, like. I can I can understand that, but I mean, I still have compassion for the man. Well, look, if he'd retired 18 years ago, his brain wouldn't be as fried as it is. Well, he just thinks outside the box. I mean, no, he thinks outside, not just outside the box. Like, if the box exists within three-dimensional space, Diego Sanchez thinks outside the concept of space as an entity. Um. Diego Sanchez told MMA Junkie he still wants to fight in the UFC. If I were the UFC, I'd let him walk. He's of no value to you. Uh, he, is a, he is a walking PR nightmare at this point, nothing else. No, he told this to Luke Thomas's uh, show. All right, well, aside from that, I don't really have much else to say about that. Um... The New York State Athletic Commission ruled that Calvin Gastelum did violate the rules at the UFC 244 weigh-ins, and they are seeking uh, disciplinary action for his. the The policy states you cannot like be touching anyone when you're weighing in, and he clearly violated that. Sure, do wish they'd have enforced that against Cormier. Well, this the the, the Robert, this policy was instituted because of the Cormier incident. In all seriousness, that's a common-sense policy that should be in place everywhere. Um, look, yeah, Gastelum is technically, like, uh, touching one of the commission officials that's holding the towel he's in front of him as he's weighing in. If there's a minor procedure in place for instances where this doesn't seem to have been a... Like, this doesn't seem like it was a terribly deliberate thing. It doesn't seem to have substantively affected a whole lot. Uh, if there's like a small fine associated with this or whatnot, or some kind of scaling fine system where if you do it once, it's minor. If you keep doing it, we escalate punishment. Uh, look, he is technically in violation of the rules. If as long as the punishment is, you know, commensurate to the infraction, I'm okay with this. Granted, that might be giving the New York State Athletic Commission too much credit in terms of how they behave themselves when it comes to it you know adjudicating it but i like why was why was my issue with this is is why nothing happened at the time like this blew up like right after it happened and like why was no one noticing this as it was happening or said anything any number of reasons the guy might not have noticed he was touching him 
All right. I mean, but they have. I mean, but they have commission officials there watching, like a hawk. Like this is their job, is it not? They have somebody looking at the scale. They, I'm not. I'm not sure they had someone dedicated to watching how the fighter behaves himself on it, him or herself. Okay. I don't know. I mean, I, I genuinely don't know why this went unremarked upon live. Well. Seems like an oversight. If the commission says you can't be touching anyone or anything, then he was, then he was in violation of the rules. Whether what, you know, that elbow did it really... Because he weighed in at 184. Does, did that weight distribution cause him to weigh less, you think? Or cause him to weigh less on the scale? I mean, almost... By definition, if he's putting weight on something else, it's going to have some kind of an effect. Right. Well, I mean, exactly how much is hard to determine. Well, with I mean, just an eyeball test like there's, that. There's a this kind of thing comes up with Gaston repeatedly, and it's disappointing. Yeah, his weight cut seems to have been mistimed relative to this event. He weighed in with like one minute left to go officially. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't know what he's got to sort out, but for crying out loud, sort it out, man. Right. Like, you're a professional. You've been in the UFC for a, you know, several years at this point. This shouldn't still be happening. Um, I think that's about it for just major news items. Alrighty, let me refresh Twitter. See if anything... Crazy has happened over the last two hours or so. Corey Anderson says UFC can release him if promotion continues skipping him for the title show. All right, throw the weight around, Corey. Yeah, buddy. You, uh, I mean, look, this is the closest thing he's ever had to actual leverage in the MMA space. You know, go for it. Um, Nate Diaz is complaining this is the, that the cut in the Mosfidal fight is the same cut that. He had in the Pettis fight, and that fight was allowed to continue. It is in, it's the same scar tissue. It is not the same cut. Like, not the same type of cut. Well, it's same cut. Again, it's in the same location, but there's differences to it that, I mean, again, if you want to say it's the same cut, it is the same batch of scar tissue over the same eye in approximately the same generalized shape. We're not talking in generalities, we're talking in specifics. Uh, um, oh, LFA is uh, going to be on UFC Fight Pass now, so they have a new they have a new broadcast deal after getting shoved off of uh, Access TV. So good for them. Good for them. Happy that that promotion is going to continue to exist. Um, credit, I suppose, to Canelo Alvarez for knocking out Sergey Kovalev in the eleventh round last night. Uh, do you have anything to say about the Nowitzki's public statements about the whole Diaz thing went down? Yeah, I don't want to be here for another hour while we di- <laughs> discussing it, but it was a crazy story. I suppose we can briefly N O V I T S K Y, correct? I want to spell his name properly. I I T Z K Y. N O V I T Z I K Y. Thank you. No, I T Z K Y. Okay, Thank you. Yeah, I'm sure it would still come up the other way. But. 
I just want to make sure I accredit the man properly. But like Nowitzki in a media scrum, he—I think he—he said—he said he—he said he, he was the one who told Diaz to keep it quiet, but that was because of Usada's policy, where where they don't make announcements about the testing until I guess until later, you know, because they don't want fight because fighters were getting branded as cheaters unfairly so they that was the change for that policy um I, you know well there's that but there are relevant questions i feel like he's not getting asked well here's the, here's kind of the big thing about this that needs to be said and i'm going to in a, because I want to give part, I want to give credit. I'm going to be somewhat cribbing from uh, Luke Thomas's discussion on the set on the subject. My opinion is not the same as his, but I just want you all to have the proper frame of reference for this. If you haven't seen his take on it, I would encourage you to do so. It's worth your time. But the big takeaway from Nowitzki mentioning some of this was that he essentially no longer believes that strict liability is the best policy for anti-doping to use. Now, for those unfamiliar with strict liability as far as this goes, strict liability as a concept comes from uh, tort law. If you are strictly liable for what happens, that means you are liable regardless of anything else. Um, so again, uh, there's a lot of examples for this. So you know, if you are the... This is purely hypothetical. I'm not an expert on this, but if you are the, say, uh, demolitions expert for something that needs demolitions expert, I don't know, a mining company, some such, and you follow every safety procedure and the area is properly cordoned off, everyone's been warned, but some drunk, stupid teenager wanders into the blast zone and gets killed because of it. If you're strictly li- if strict liability is in play, the, you're the demolition expert. You're the one responsible. It doesn't matter that the drunk teenager broke the law, violated safety protocol, and you did everything by the book. Strict liability has been the diff- like the express um, what's the word I'm looking for? It has been the standard of uh, responsibility slash liability that anti-doping has been imposing on people. And Nowitzki's position at this particular point seems to be, and bear in mind, Nowitzki is not associated with USADA. He is a UFC employee. His, the, the thing that kind of surprised people was he, again, he came out and said, given the sophistication of testing at this point, because when a lot of strict liability kind of methodology or uh, I hate to say jurisprudence because that is not the word, but it kind of conveys the sentiment. When that was in place, te- my question. is him taking that stance going to change the regulation and policy on this? No, he has no say over what USADA does. Jeff Nowitzki is a UFC employee. Right. USADA, so, so what USADA is the, oversees the, significantly more than the UFC. What is the point here? 
some of the, here's what's probably going to happen if I had to guess. So, sorry, just to kind of finish my point, Nowitzki's point seems to be with testing now being able to detect things down to the picogram instead of simply at the nanogram level, which is several orders of magnitude more sensitive. And the general, and this is kind of like his words, contamination of the world. This might not be the appropriate uh, you know, kind of ideology to have in place behind it. Here's the thing about this. Well, and again, well, if I had to, if I had to guess what's going to happen, change the regulation and policy through USADA, then I don't really see what I mean. Like, what difference are we like? How are we going to fix this? Well, again, if I had to guess, here's the thing: USADA's governing policies are a little bit odd because the vast majority of Hang on. The vast majority of what they oversee is amateur competition, amateur competitors trying to be eligible to compete on the international stage for world championships or the Olympics. USADA can't change broad sweeping policy as it pertains to those athletes without just almost de facto disqualifying them from participation under IOC guidelines. That's the International Olympic Committee. Everything they do as it pertains to amateur boxers, cyclists, track and field, the whole nine yards, everything they do for them has to conform to uh, World Anti-Doping Agency, WADA, or the IOC guidelines. If they don't, everyone tested under USADA's policies can be disqualified from international competition for being in violate, for not being uh, uh, in in line with these standards and practices. And you ain't going to tell a gymnast who's been, uh, you know, you try telling a, you know, 18 year old gymnast who's been training, you know, uh, 120 hours a week, more probably since they were six that, sorry, we're changing our policy to be more amenable to professional fighters you no longer are eligible to compete on the international stage in your chosen sport. That ain't going to go over. Just not. What's most likely to happen, if I were to guess, USADA will simply implement specific policy changes relative to the UFC. If they're going to change anything at all. Okay. Well, I mean, the UFC can just ignore USADA's set USADA's sanctions. They don't have, they choose to enforce them. They do not have to. Ugh, this is a very. Ugh, the, uh, I feel like Pandora's box has been opened here. That is an apt metaphor. And. I get why people are angry, but I mean. I still blame them. Again, there was a lot of pearl clutching, there was a lot of sensationalizing, and there was a problem. I mean, and there is a real... How do I phrase this? People wanted a clean... People people thought the sport was dirty, or, or they claimed it was dirty. Where sport, yes, I mean, sports are dirty. Them. And then we, you know, people held up this idea that we needed regulation, and we needed year-round random testing... They got it, and now everyone's ticked off about it. That's just kind of my reading of all this. 
That is an accurate summation of events from where I sit. And then, and then Pandora's box was open, and now we have almost, I feel like, now that Pandora's box has been opened, I feel like it's gone... It's like micro. It's almost like micromanaging in a sense to me. Like it's gone too far, basically. But it's happened because we had this attitude that the sport had to be cleaned up, and everyone was cheating or using some sort of PEDs, and we needed to do something about it. And I feel like those people brought this element on themselves. Like we had all these outspoken people. Talking fighters, uh, the media, uh, what have you, saying we need year-round random testing, and guys are guys are cheating and getting away with it. We're not vigilant enough, and now I now I guess we're too vigilant. But you know, I I'm just. Well, there's also an open question about whether or not it's effective to begin with. Sure. Um, I don't know what the... Honestly, I don't know what the answer is, but I just feel like... I feel like we have people not taking responsibility for their role in this. That's probably fair. I mean, again, I have no issue with saying, again, I was one of those guys who kind of thought, you know, maybe we should have something more like year-round testing, and... Again, I'll own up to that, and I'll just say my position has changed since then. In TRT era VTOR, no one would shut shut up about TRT, and now, and now we're like, man, man, don't you miss TRT VTOR? Is kind of the sentiment I get. I mean, I don't miss TRT VTOR specifically, but <laughs> not not from you, but some contingents of the of the fandom. And then look, you have Luke. I mean, Luke Thomas is the guy that said, "I want like." Basically, he's like, I want to see excellence inside the cage. Basically not caring if if guys are using something. Well, I think the big deal, and I've said this before, and I think it's probably correct. If fighters had an organization that negotiated on their behalf, them and the UFC all got together, came came up with a policy everyone could live with, the fans would fall in line, and a lot of this discussion would go away. I I am in favor of that, but that's... That's up to the fighters if they want to make that happen. Just Absolutely. like, oh yeah, it's like negotiations, unions, and collective bargaining. You know, it's not to me. It's not dissimilar to what happened with the WWE. Now, look, I don't know all the ins and outs of what happened with the with WWE in Saudi Arabia, but the rumor. This is just a rumor. WWE story is that there were mechanical issues preventing the. the <laughs> From leaving, but the issue is, is that some sort of there was some sort of disagreement with the General Sports Authority in Vince McMahon, where apparently the Saudi Arabian uh, government had not paid the WWE what they were promised for their events and programming, and Vince apparently cut the feed of of um, Crown Jewel, and so Saudi Arabia. The, this is the rumor. I this has not been confirmed, like legitimately. Like this is what the the dirt. Yes, the dirt sheets are saying that 
like the the Saudi Saudi Arabia basically grounded the flight and and wouldn't let the the WWE superstars leave. Now the reason I mention this is because like professional wrestlers like they don't have a union to speak up for them and and handle I mean, they're things. Not, they're not even employees. Right. So my point Neither is fighters actually. My point is they were not they were not if the, if there's any truth to this at all Robert they were not treated fairly here. And that was messed up. That they were they were treated as pawns in a game between the Saudi Arabian government and Vince McMahon, who and you know, who who it seems basically entered a bad faith deal with a murderous dictator. You said it, not me. Um, I'll say it. He is. Yeah, yeah. Basically that. So. And WWE went ahead with this deal after what happened with, where, where the government basically did a state-sponsored murder of, of a journalist. Uh, is his name Jamal Khashoggi? I don't... Uh, Khashoggi, I believe, is the pronunciation. I'm sorry if I mispronounced that. Uh, it, it's, it's a, but again, I'd say it's a weird name, but it's like a pronunciation the, you have to hear. That's like with wrestlers. They, it's... If that is something they want or desire, it is on them to make it happen, not on the UFC. They have to, if they want to have a say in the USADA regulation, they have to, they have to band together and demand it. That's the only way it would change. Yeah, look, uh, there's a reason USADA oversees no professional, uh, no other professional sport in the world. now, as for as for Jeff Nowitzki, what he said last week, I mean, he seems like a rational human being. Eh, depends on the day. I mean, other than that, peop- I feel like there are a lot of relevant questions that aren't being asked of him. I mean, what- wasn't he the guy who was like going through uh, Barry Bonds' garbage? That's what I heard. I've heard that story. I don't know if yeah. it's actually true. Just kind of like that whole Lisa Nawak story, like wearing diapers when the police pulled her over. There's apparently some. Apparently, that's not the actual version of events, but that's like, you know, astronaut in a diaper and all that, you know. Became a movie with Natalie Portman and she doesn't even wear a diaper in the movie. Uh, I don't know if that's true, but I'm just saying, like, I, I hear the things he's saying and I understand what he's getting at basically but i don't know the whole situation annoys me yeah it is a it is one that profoundly and negatively affects the sport by and large and the experience of the fans more than anything else but it's just that when i hear the the commentators and the the radio host guys these were some of the same people screaming about drug testing before you saw the camera Screaming. I mean, look, drug tests. Look, drug use on you and all that. Look, drug use in any sport, even those overseen by institutions like USADA, is by almost every self-referential anonymous survey they do, somewhere around forty to sixty percent. Okay. No one, but but I mean, before USADA came along, no one was buying tainted supplement excuses. I'm sorry. 
they also weren't utilizing terribly sophisticated testing and weren't necessarily failing for the same things. Well, the 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 substances being failed for under uh, commission testing were different. I I think we've talked enough as much as we can about it for now, but it's a it's a, it's going to be an evolving continuing problem, I feel. It's Look, this is going to be a problem until the fan base revolts to the point where it is no longer tenable from a public relations standpoint for the UFC to make, stay in the deal with USADA, or fighters collectively force the UFC's that was, hand. That was the same situation that led to USADA. It was those same circumstances. Yeah, and until something similar happens again, and I don't think it... I, the reality is I don't think it will. I don't think anybody's going to, I don't think any bit of the fan base large enough or loud enough is going to get up in arms over this. All right. Not. All right. I mean, mean, look at, you know, look at the reaction to Paulo Costa saying he needed bicep surgery. Half the people said, Oh bull, he's cycling off of the roids again. Like the MMA fandom is not in a sophisticated enough position generally to have a nuanced discussion about the values of anti-doping at the moment. Sure. All right. I think we can move on then. And in all fairness, that's part of the reason I think, you know, shows like you and like this one, despite being a smaller profile, I don't mind talking about it on occasion because we, you know, we're not screaming about it anymore. Thank God we used to like, again, I'm happy to put my hand in the air. I was, I used to be part of the problem. We can, we can have more nuance about, this discussion here, but yes. Uh, uh, all right, so that's all I've got. So I think we can get into plugs. Unless yeah. there's something else. The greatest movie of the year, Playing with Fire, starring John Cena. Don't, uh, don't, just don't. <laughs> um, other other reviews coming up. Um, one I am very excited about: Ford versus Ferrari. I'll be reviewing that, and um, probably Charlie's. The Charlie's Angels reboot we've been dying to see for the last 16 years. I said no one ever. Um, starring Chris, uh, uh, is it Kristen Stewart? Yep. Uh, I believe Elizabeth Banks is directing. Yeah, Kristen Stewart. Uh, Elizabeth Banks is directing this one, so yeah. She plays Bosley too, right? Uh... I'm not... I, I haven't followed this version too much but as far as you know a bosley casting goes i okay yes she is playing bosley so yes so probably reviewing this one so hooray good luck and godspeed actually there are two people in as bosley and the cat i don't know how accurate this imdb cast list is though yay so hooray we got new charlie <laughs> Jeez, no one asked for this. Literally no one. I mean, I didn't even like the the McGee ones, honestly. I could, like, I, the first one's kind of a guilty, an occasional guilty pleasure. Mm -hmm. This uh, full throttle is just the dirt worst. Right. And then, you know. The first one at least has Bill Murray in it. Yeah, like, the first one has some, and Sam Rockwell. Right. Like, there's, there's some enjoyable stuff to the first one. Sure. Um, you know, in a guilty pleasure kind of way, but you know, who's crying for a Charlie's Angels reboot in 2019? 
But so I'll, I'll be reviewing those and John Cena's new movie, which I have already seen. I you <laughs> I hope you drank a lot. Huh? I did not. I drank water and um, look, it's it's Hulk. It's John Cena doing Hulk Hogan's Mr. Nanny or the Pacifier with Vin Diesel. So, look, I'd rather watch yeah. Mr. Nanny. I mean. <laughs> Uh, the le- the less said, the le- basically the less said, the better. So, but I am very excited about Ford vs. Ferrari. That movie looks, um, it looks good. I don't know if it'll be fantastic, but it looks very good. So I hope it's a good movie. So, and then, um, that's about it. Yeah, that's it for me this week. Thank you, Robert. Uh, as for myself, again, you can find my full report of UFC 244 in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com. Same place you might have found this podcast, actually. Uh, wherever you found this show, thank you very much for having done so. We're on YouTube, uh, the 411mania website, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Stitcher, Transistor. Basically, wherever you get your podcast, you can find us. So please subscribe so you can stay updated. I might be trying a, a thing in the near future. Well, with like a kind of like bonus or extra content under this umbrella. I don't know. I might, again, I'm thinking about trying it out. Might crash and burn, but hey, wouldn't be the first time I've done something like that. Uh, Mark Radlich and I recorded live uh, watch-along commentary for UFC 244's main card which you can find over on the Rattlech and Broadcasting Network. We also did live commentary for Canelo versus Kovalev, uh, such as it was. Mark was very, very tired at that point. Um, This Tuesday on Damn You Hollywood, myself and Mark, and I think Alexis Haina, I'm not sure. She might be. We'll be talking about Terminator Dark Fate, which I have not yet seen, but will shortly, and we'll talk about it, whether it was good or bad. It seems to have... uh, Opened a little bit flat uh, financially, so we'll have a look and uh, have a full review of it. This Saturday, I believe morning, uh, I don't know the full start time for the UFC Moscow card, because I think they're doing it prime time in Moscow, so we'll see. Uh, I will have coverage of that in the MMA Zone of 411 Mania, so please stop by, say hello. I really do appreciate it whenever you guys do. Even if all you do is want to, you know, come in and say something minor and then be on your way because this card does not look terribly compelling, I completely understand. We will be back here next week. Uh, We'll have a review of UFC. I think we just have the review next week of the Moscow card because... No, no, we we will be previewing... So, ninth... Yeah, we will be previewing uh, UFC on ESPN Plus 22 next week. This is their card in Sao Paulo, headlined by uh, Jan Blahovich and Ronaldo Souza. Uh, also on this card, Mauricio Shogun Hua will fight Paul Craig. Surprisingly interesting fight, that, actually. Uh, Charles Oliveira and Jared Gordon's not a bad fight. Um, ooh, Francisco Trinaldo and Bobby Green. Uh, that'll go underappreciated. Wow, Henan Barrow still with the UFC. He's fighting Douglas Silva de Andrade. 
man, poor Burrell. Just, oof, that man's career. Anyway, we'll talk about all of that next week and give you a full preview. Um, oh, I remember the other thing. Uh, look, I have an unbelievably small audience here, all things considered. But uh, apparently Walt Harris's stepdaughter has been the victim of some kind of foul play, uh, abduction, uh, and they're offering a lot of you know, some reward money for anyone who might have information about that. On the off chance that one of the few people that listen to this does know anything, contact. please contact the uh, relevant authorities. Uh, that's a that's a terrible, terrible thing. Uh, he's at the moment, I believe he's pulled out of his fight. He was supposed to be part of the main event for the ESPN card in a few weeks. Uh, and, you know, our, for whatever value you want to ascribe to them, I'm a religious person, so I do think they carry weight. Uh, thoughts and prayers are with uh, that particular family as they're going through this. Uh, and it's a terrible thing. Sorry to end on a downer there, guys, but... Uh, Hey, the world sucks sometimes. What do you want me to say? We'll be back next week. Hope you will all as well. Again, apologies for the downer ending. Until then, thanks again. Stay safe out there, and please continue to be well, be safe, and behave.